Welcome to Tools for Liberty. I'm Pastor Man Sparrow, and this is Pastor Dylan Proctor. We also have in the room with us our technician, Anthony. Um, and this is episode 10. Yes, today we're going to be discussing excommunication, Joel Osteen, the logic of judgment, Santa Claus, and a very interesting character named Patience Worth. So we have a pretty interesting program put together for today. So let's go ahead and begin with just talking about what exactly excommunication is. Let's get straight into our, our sort of terminology section. So Amanda, talk to me a little bit about excommunication today. Okay, so as probably a lot of us are coming to this word with some kind of knowledge, we've heard it before maybe, and especially within kind of a religious or church setting, and we see it where the church has um, historically has pushed people outside of the boundaries of the church. It said, like, you're not, you know, part of us, or you cannot, um, you don't belong, basically. Um, and a lot of this kind of uh, conversation about excommunication, we come to seeing it almost as a very... Uh, was a bad idea of, of judgment. And so when we were talking about this earlier, we had talked about, or I had mentioned some films where you have like uh, high school, about high school where you have teenagers sitting together and they're like, oh, you can't sit with us. You're not part of the clique. And so that's how we see excommunication is the church being just kind of abnormally uh, cliquish. And this is really not the point of excommunication. And so we have to get to a better definition of it. And really it is the church saying, this is what it means to participate in the life and the community of the church. This is right speech and right action as it pertains to um, to how we think about God and how we um, act as the church. And so this happens a lot of time, and we've seen it especially in the past in the early church, where you know, because at first the church acts as this sect, and then as it begins to grow and develop, it becomes at odds with Judaism and then at odds with other religions and other philosophies as it goes around the world. And so it had to begin to define what it meant to participate in the church and what it meant not to. And so we see this kind of movement of the church saying, okay, this person and their philosophy is not a part of us. And they would say, okay, you're kind of outside the bounds of orthodoxy or right thought. And if that person refused to participate in the church in right thought, then the church would say, we've excommunicated you. You have been, you are no longer part of the church. Right. So we really need to not think of, of excommunication as this sort of thing of, of harsh judgment. It should be thought of as a tool for the church honing itself. Because there are times where people will come into the community who actually don't have the best of intentions. Believe it or not, mm -hmm. uh, human corruption will come into almost anything. And as the we discuss the term excommunication, I want you to, to just take a breath for a second. We're going to start with a clean slate. We're going to sort of open our minds. Again, we're always in the interest of critical thinking. Go out and do some, some research even beyond what we're going to discuss this morning. But we really, as we go to, to excommunication, I don't want us to think of it as we're just going to say, you're outside the community, go live on a you know, deserted island, and maybe you live, maybe you don't. It's not necessarily that. It's a tool where we say, well, we are moving towards this sort of order. We're moving sort of this sort of theology. We, as the church, we have a goal in mind. But something has come up which is outside of that, but is still within the, the realm of our community. It's someone who is here, but they're not necessarily moving in the right direction. It could be somebody who is actually very hostile to the people mm -hmm. around us. This idea that everybody that can come into a community is just going to be in sort of harmony with one another is not necessarily the case. So I want us to really take a few moments, take a few steps back and say, well, let's rethink what it means to, to discuss excommunication as a tool for sharpening who we are. And again, I don't even want us to think that it's something that's necessarily permanent. It, it doesn't have to be something where we're permanently casting someone out, but it's a tool where we, we sharpen ourselves because as the church, there are going to be people who claim to be a part of us who we need a tool for saying, look, this is who we are. Just because someone claims to be a part of us doesn't mean they actually are. That's because someone claims to, to be, be 
answering or speaking for someone else doesn't mean that they actually are. It doesn't mean they, they've been given that responsibility or that's even the necessary intention. Because someone says they're doing something, they can have a very different intention. Uh, often I say people are more complex than they are self-aware, and somebody can actually think they're representing the church when they're, they're representing something very different. And the church needs a way to clarify this is who we are and this is who we aren't. So, Amanda, earlier you mentioned that it's not just this you can't sit with this mentality. Why don't you explain that a little bit more to me? In our conversation earlier this week, you, you did a really good job of talking about how it's not just this idea of you can't sit with us. Well, and I think, so as we continue to talk about the church, a lot of people have in mind that the church is this very judgmental little group of people. So you can only kind of be with us if you look like us or if you act like us or if you think like us. And in some other episodes, we have talked about people gathering from all different kinds of lifestyles, all different kinds of um, perceptions and ideas and f finding their place amongst the community. And so the church has always kind of tried to figure out what exactly is essential to participating in the life of the church and then what are some preferences. And so we do see diversity in the church and real diversity, not just um, kind of the spe specific little check boxes we, we usually talk about in pop culture, but we see all these kinds of different thoughts and people coming together and talking and being like, okay, what is the truth and what is the heart? What really matters? And so then the church has said, okay, this some things we can have some wiggle room on. And then there's some things though, however, if you don't agree with it, you're outside of the church. And again, it's not this thing where very arbitrary or very easy that the church has come to and has pushed people out just kind of like, because that's the simplest answer. It really has been a struggle throughout the ages of the church talking amongst itself and saying, okay, what, what is the right way of talking about God? What is the right way of um, participating in the life of the church? And when people have, after long conversations and long debates, have still decided, no, we want to be our, or we want to be against what the church has decided as truth. That's then when the church says, okay, if you're not going to participate in the conversation in a, in a, um, in a social and um, constructive way, then we're going to say you're not, um, you're not Christian. You're not a part of the church. And this doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't still a part of, of the, the, social, the social aggregation. A lot of times this is us saying, well, look, you're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And we need to make a distinction that says you're not there yet. As we represent ourselves to the world, we need to say, well, these things – we're not going to, to you know, cast them on a desert island, but they're not there yet, and we need to clarify who it is that we are. This is about saying that there, there is a, a sincere you know, truth that is not, it's not relative. It is absolute. We may not have the best understanding of it yet, but we're pursuing it, and there's something which is counter to that, and we need to just articulate that this is, this is not correct. There's something about this that has an mm -hmm. issue with it, but that's not to say we're not going to continue working on that to get it there. It's something I think you really have to deal with on a case-by-case -case basis because um, – Things can come up where people come and they want to, to be a leech on the church. They can tell you that they want to be a part of things, but some very corrupt things can happen. Well, and I think that's where the church kind of says, okay, this is somebody who's maybe going towards trying to figure it out for themselves, but they're not mature enough or they haven't given enough thought. And so we're kind of saying, hold up and wait. And then there are people who do have bad intentions who are like, okay, you're definitely, you're not journeying. You're not trying to grow. You're just trying to, you know, create chaos. And mm -hmm. so we're going to say like, you, you can't, it's not that we're going to close our doors to you. It's not that you can't come in and worship, but you can't proclaim yourself. And this is excommunication really in our history and even now works for actually, or usually it's against ministers or people who are out front saying, I am a Christian and I say this. So people with authority. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, saying, okay, you should, you're not an authoritative 
figure or you're not really saying what what Christianity is and so you need to like sit down learn a little more but there does come a point I think where the church has to um, say you know you're not willing to to grow you're not willing to work and so you need to right. find there's going to be consequences for that so right. we've talked about this uh, where Jesus says you can shake the sand off your sandals um, Dylan, would you talk to us more about that? Yeah, that was one of the best pieces of advice I, I had early on in my, my pastoral ministry. It's been several years now. When I had first come to to my first role as being this sort of a, a lead senior pastor, uh, I, I was, had a huge problem that cropped up in the church. Um, the most difficult thing I've ever dealt with in ministry came up about three months into my first pastoral position as a, a, a leading senior pastor. And I came in, there was someone who came into the church, somebody who, who really needed help. There was a lady who came in, and she she came in, and she had all these issues in life. And, and the other ladies in the church said, well, we want to wrap around this person. We want to help them. She came in, and she said, you know, this is where I'm at. And she she really talked about all the things which made her a victim in the world, all the things which had caused brokenness in her life. And, you know, we're like, okay, this is a place for the church to reach out. We we like to, to help people who, who have this. But things became apparent very quickly that this lady was not interested in change, but in fact, she was there to leech off the church. And her the things that would come out of her mouth, she would say things like, you know, I do want change. I, I want to do this at first. Well, I should say at first she would say things like this, but her, her actions mm -hmm. would not be like that. And after a few months, we started calling on it. But like, we're like, well, you say you want to live better, but you don't. She says, no, I don't. I don't really want to live better. And just to, to keep all of this story, um, I don't want to go too much in this, but after the course of several months, she would come to service. She would tell people she was suicidal, and they would try to do stuff to help her. They, she would come in. She would scream um, things like, I will not work a, a full-time job is what she said one time. We, she had for a while said she wanted to get a job. We lined up some stuff in the church. There were some several ladies here who helped her get some stuff together. There were people with a couple of different groups and organizations in the Nashville area. We had got her lined up to go through job chaining and, and stuff. And there are even people who were going to volunteer to take her to and from the stuff. And when it came down to it, she wouldn't participate in it. And she would scream and she would throw things. She would come in screaming. She would corner people. We had a Sunday school teacher who at the time she would corner and she would just wear out. Mm -hmm. And it became very hostile very quickly. And she would always say, well, I want to help people. But she didn't want to get her own life in order. And she, was, she wasn't quite homeless. She did own property, but it was a very complex situation. And what eventually come of it is she had got suicidal and the, when she finally was telling everybody she was going to commit suicide, I said, you know, as far as the church is going to, I've got to call the Metro mm -hmm. services to do a, a, a wellness check on this lady. Cause we're going to be, you know, I, I don't want that on us if, right. if we didn't do that. And I don't mean just from the, the legal liability, but I mean, if she's actually suicidal, we want to make sure she gets the help she needs. So when they came, you know, she, she get, had a total different tone with the, the counselor that came out and, very quickly, the counselor said, no, you're, you're lying to me. You know exactly what to tell me, but you're, you're thinking something different. And many things happened. Um, she ended up being taken in by the police. She had some outstanding things on her, and she tried to strip her clothes off in the, the sanctuary. It was a very, very intense thing. But the thing with it was is she was somebody who she'd been telling people in the community. She said, you know, I'm a member of the church. I'm, I'm, and she was telling people she was somebody very important in the church, too, and she was representing the church, but she was somebody who wasn't. They were doing very destructive things, um, which again, not to beat up on anybody, but she had she had waited out somebody's house nearby and she had got their key and went into their house without their permission and started cooking breakfast for them. And this person had a girlfriend and when their girlfriend came over, there was a strange woman in the house cooking and cleaning in the house and he was in bed. And you know, that's not something that needs to be happening. This was the sort of things this lady was doing in the community. Um, and, you know, as the church, when when I had 
ask for some advice on this from an older minister, which again, it, it did essentially boil down to a form of excommunication when she ended up being taken in for that mental health thing. You said, we said, you can come back, but you need to have change in your life when you come back. And we will help you get that change. Mm -hmm. We will come to you to help you get that change. But you've got to show me that you want change if you're going to come back. Because for the first time, the church had had real growth, but it was almost completely stifled. It was uh, we lost a, a whole lot of members over this. And, you know, this was my I'm I'm new to being pastor. And this lady comes in. She's he's heckling me. She's heckling the Sunday school teachers. She's heckling people of all ages. When the ladies came over to do quilting, she would go in there and harass them. You know, she's breaking into people's houses and the thing. and and telling people she's a representative of the church and you, you can't have somebody breaking into houses saying, well, I, I'm here on behalf of the church to do that. Um, you know, the church did not give them authority right. to do that. And we, we wouldn't give somebody authority to go, you know, break, break and enter someone's house. So there is a time when the church says for the benefit of the community, we're not turning our, our back to this person okay. for eternity, but we're saying we need to, to clarify that, that you're not representing who the church is and you're not there yet. We will still help you get there. However, we're not going to devote a limited number of resources to that. I mean, and what I mean by that is we do not have infinite resources. We don't have infinite time, infinite energy, infinite, you know, wisdom. But but these people, they want to suck all of that in. Mm -hmm. And you have to say, as a, as a shepherd, I have a flock to tend to. And I am willing to devote some time to you, some of our, our limited resources. I will go out of my way to help you. But if you're going to be someone who is perpetuating chaos and viciously active, in the pursuit of chaos. And we have to say, say no to that. And one other example I'd like to give to that is we had another issue that come up where somebody had been in the church of the Nazarene. Um, they were not a member. They weren't even a member of a Nazarene church, but they had been telling people they were an elder in the church of the Nazarene. Mm. Um, and this person was, was doing some other things which were quite bad. And just to give a long story short of it, but that ended up, this wasn't necessarily um, our case here, but it, it involves some other people, but that ended up in sort of a self excommunication. But, but there is a time where if somebody's not living in a way that, that is properly consistent with the kingdom of God, you don't need to be telling people you're an elder in the church of Nazareth, which is not an easily obtained thing, right. by the way. And just to be saying you're doing that, you know, while you're standing outside and it was a man, you know, he would be outside his underwear, his pants undone with no clothes on and stuff like that. And there were a lot of, issues and even some things which which border on illegality and it's just you can't have anybody just going out and saying i'm an elder in the church of nazarene um so there's a time where we have to say this is who we are we're not turning our back on these people for eternity we're not saying you know you're condemned you know this is this is the thing with with critical thinking we realize there's multiple layers to stuff mm. we, we can be critical thinking about this we're not condemning people we're not saying you know we're we're done with you forever but as christ said when he sends people out and this is back to your question. I'll tile this up, and then I'll, I'll let you, you talk some. Um, Christ, when he sent out the disciples, he didn't say stay with anybody who have you. He said stay with those who receive your message. And if they won't receive your message, shake the sand off your sandals and, and move on because we only have so much time to spend with people. Mm -hmm. So back to this idea that, that God is not bipolar, that we need to have critical thinking about God. We have, need to have critical thinking about judgment and even how we bring people into the church. Talk to me about that some, Amanda. How do we right. have critical thinking about, about God? Well, as we've been talking about, like, so right thought and right action of um, how we speak and then respond to God. Uh, oftentimes when we're describing some of these kind of harsher realities of the church um, with things like excommunication, it's such an, an ugly word. And so we were like, oh, you know, that's not a really 
a, fr a friendly and inviting place. And so does that depict an unfriendly and, and exclusive God? And so then we, as we look into our Old Testament, especially when we see a lot of things like the words of judgment and um, destruction, like stories of Sodom and Gomorrah or even Nineveh, um, and then we look in the New Testament and we have Jesus proclaiming this message and then the apostles are going out after um, Pentecost and they're saying the gospel is for everyone. We, we kind of almost de depict this bipolar God, so this wrathful God in the Old Testament who then becomes a very loving God in the New Testament. And as we were talking about earlier, I mean, that really is a heresy that was dealt with almost 2,000 years ago. So shortly um, after the church is established, they were like, wait, you know, this is what people are saying. This is not a clear depiction of who our God is. And we still kind of battle with that today because we don't have a clear understanding of who God is and the words like judgment and mercy and things like that. So we have to think, I think, a little bit deeper into these stories that we then read and say, okay, God looks like this one way and then he looks a different way at a different time. It Really, God is the same and God does have this dynamic, creative nature that acts sometimes differently than we would like God to act, but ultimately God is a God of love. And that kind of love, though, does, is not permissible to all behaviors. So if it is something destruct destructive, God's going to say, you know, you're destroying other people's lives. You need to get it together. I'm not going to let you destroy other people's lives. And so just as God does that um, throughout history and even today, um, the church has to do that. And so we're not trying to depict a hateful God or a hateful church. It really is, okay, for the betterment of yourself and others, if you're going to destroy your life and other people's lives, if you're going to do this, this you know, chaotic behavior, we're going to try to get you where you have the help you need, where you can grow, but you're not going to harm people in the process. And so it, it, it is all based in love and compassion. Um, and as we're talking about this, you uh, in our kind of overview, we had talked about the logic of judgment. And so this kind of movement, I know you've been doing a study in John, and you really do see a very clear depiction of God's judgment and love go hand in hand. Can you talk more about that, Dylan? Yeah, so the logic of judgment in the Gospel of John is very, very different than a lot of times what we think. And and as we have the conversation about the logic of judgment, it's important to to couple all of this together and understand that not everything is this sort of, two sides of a coin mentality. Mm -hmm. it, it's really easy, and you can even substantiate this within human behavior. You know, as people create shortcuts in their mind, they create something and they say, well, if it's not this, it must be the opposite of this. It must be the opposite side of the coin. And when we think of judgment, we think of it this way, like there's either a positive judgment or a good judgment. And we don't realize how dynamic a lot of stuff really is. And we even don't think of it necessarily in the terms of like light and darkness, which is one of the most powerful illustrations we get in the New Testament where Darkness is that which is the absence of light. It's not a thing in and of itself. It's sort of nothingness. Well, as we look to the New Testament, especially as we look to the Gospel of John, and if you look to John 3:16 and 17, you get this great verse that talks about God loving the world so much that he would send his son to die. But then after that, you also get this, that he came to the world for a purpose of bringing judgment, but not just any judgment. He didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring a judgment of new life. And if you have a good understanding of of what judgment is or what righteousness is or what justice is. All of this is this idea that you've got different things in reality. And sometimes those things get out of order, but judgment is putting those back in the best possible order. It may not look the same as it did before, but having everything put in a good order with one another, you know, getting the relationships fixed together. You know, if I came in here, I've got a coat on right now. If I had it on backwards, that would be weird. It would not be in correct order. You know, if the, the bookshelf was upside down or the, the different things on the bookshelf, they could be turned in a really peculiar way. But judgment is when things get put back in the best possible order. 
And in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, we see that Christ comes not to bring condemnation, but to bring new life. And if we study John 3 very carefully, it goes on to say that the world is already in a state of, of condemnation. Left to its own, people will go to the darkness. And if they're already in the darkness, which again, when the operative words in that phrase is those who, who have not accepted the word, those who aren't accepting the new testimony of Christ, they are already condemned. And the reason why it's so important to see that word already in that, in that passage there after John 3.17, there's a, a few verses after that, which I encourage you to go read and study it very carefully. The logic is that left to their own resources, they are already there. Christ does not have to come to the world to bring condemnation because the world will go to the darkness by itself. And you even see the illustration of darkness and light there because darkness is the absence of light. The world, when it has moved away from God, is existing outside of that right order. And that's not something God has proactively done. It's just that which has moved out of, out of, away from the relationship with God. It's just the, the default sort of state of nothingness. It's chaos. It's disorderly. Well, back to this idea that, that judgment in the Gospel of John isn't this, this two sides of a coin. It's not people come in and there's a, a judge in sort of our modern judicial system where you've got a, a jury in criminal court and you've got a judge and, you know, they come in and there's a ruling that says you're guilty or innocent. It's not that at all. It's that people are already in a, in a bad place, but Christ has a new opportunity and the judgment he's willing to give is a judgment of new life if people are willing to accept that, which going back to some of the things Amanda said, it's important to, to have a good understanding of love, to be able to have a good understanding of this judgment. Because it's not just that Christ says you can have a new life in, in anything. You know, the blessing that you get from Christ isn't, well, you need help figuring out the logistics of robbing a bank, so I'm going to help <laughs> you with that. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. It's, it's towards something that is orderly, not towards something which is chaos, not towards that which is darkness. And so we always see this orderly transformation. But the love that Christ has is this idea to give life and preserve life in complex situations. It's not to take life in complex situations and not everything in life is very cut and dry. A lot of times things are very difficult. And when somebody comes into the church and they're wanting to, to destroy, to be people of chaos, the best blessing we can give is to preserve life in the community and say this person is being destructive and we have to deal with them different than we deal with other people. That doesn't mean we're saying we're giving them the judgment of condemnation in the least bit. You know, if we, we have critical thinking, we know that one the opposite of one thing doesn't have to be another thing. It could be any number of things if it's just the absence of one thing. So we need a tool for saying sometimes people aren't in the best place and we have to deal with them differently than the rest of, of those in the community. Or sometimes it's more than one person. Again, it, things are not always cut and dry, but it means that we have to deal with people differently and we have to, to be wary of the context they have. So it really is important that we, we understand that there are issues that will arise. So Amanda, talk to me a little bit about how excommunication is, is a little bit of a, a defense mechanism against events problems in the church. So as we've seen throughout the history of the church, excommunication has come oftentimes in the midst of the church having these great debates and conversations. And again, it, it, excommunication is predominantly used against leaders or people who have proclaimed to be leaders or proclaimed to have some kind of authority to speak on behalf of the church. And so as um, the church has gathered and they've said, okay, this is outside of us or this is destructive, then they've, they have used excommunication. And even the church today sometimes will, will use um, excommunication when there are people either in authority or organizations that are in authority that are proclaiming a message opposite of the gospel. And as we were kind of talking about this, I feel like the church, the modern church today, maybe doesn't use excommunication the way it, it should. And because we're scared of it, because we're like, oh, it's going to paint us as judgmental or cliquish. But there are a lot of people going around today who 
seem or who act like or who speak like they're Christians, but are really not the best examples of the gospel. Either they're permissible of poor behaviors or um, their their language is contrary to that of, of orthodoxy. And I'm, I'm kind of going to go into our current issue a little bit as we speak on a particular person. And I want to be careful. Please hear everything I'm saying. Um, so with some things that were happening down in Harvey, uh, kind of a controversy uh, was brought up around Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. you say his name right. And some people were complaining about him and then other people, you know, and that kind of it just snowballed. And I saw on Facebook someone had posted, isn't it sad when the church picks on one of its own? And I just kind of sat back and was like, when has the church at large ever accepted Joel Osteen? He's kind of pop Christianity and this kind of just charismatic character that really doesn't best exemplify Christian orthodoxy. And if you look more into some of the things that happened early on with Joel Osteen and um, and, and Harvey, some of the things that he did were exaggerated. But even if we take away everything that he said and did in that instance, he still has a very, very long record of saying things that aren't Christian, really, if we if we understand Christianity and not this pop pop Christianity that says, you know, well, if you have enough faith, God's going to give you whatever you want. Again, that's that's contrary to the love of God, because the love Mm -hmm. of God says, you know, like your example, God's not going to help you be the best thief. He's going to help you be the best person. And the best person is someone of, you know, that doesn't steal, that doesn't commit those kinds of yeah, crimes. Yeah, and, and this is why it's so important to be able to, to distinguish that there are things of order and there are things of chaos in our world. You know, even if you go back and use the language of sin, or if you go into such as uh, the field of uh, really the study of crime and you talk about antisocial behavior, you know, there are things that, that are harmful to sort of the, the hum, human form. And even when we look at the, the, the form of the church, you know, and I'm just thinking about that question, you know, it's terrible when the church picks on one of its own. There's so many problems with that statement again, because one, since when was this person, you know, you could talk about Joel Osteen or anybody, mm-hmm. you know, when was this person to be the, the end all representative of the church right. is one question you could have that you pull out of that. And again, the other is, is, is so in response to it, well, like what? So we, we don't have tools for sharpening ourselves. Mm-hmm. Even, even if I do something, that's a mistake. If somebody criticized me, it's not the end of the world. I want to become a better person. Right. So it's not just, and again, it's where people like to reduce stuff to really what I call crayon level thinking, where they say if you if you have a tool for dealing with any problem, well then you you must be harmful. If you if you talk about saying, well, we're not going to let the person who who is breaking and entering into the house who's claiming to be, then we have a problem. No, we we have to distinguish people because not everybody's at the same place. And it does a disservice to that person because at some point in time, they may actually find transformation. Mm-hmm. And if we've already given them the, the merits of, of such transformation, even though it's not there, well, what is that? What incentive do they have then to pursue transformation? You know, we, there must be the, the logos must be present in our theology and in the world around us. We must move towards order. We must not be hung up on chaos. We must not be hung up in the things that are destructive. I mean, this is the call of God that we would move away from something bad towards something better. Every time you see Christ dealing with people, he always says, you know, get up and walk. Go go and sin no more. Get up and go with us to Jerusalem. There's always the call to go and have a better life than you did before. You're never stuck in the in the, the vicious cycle of, of destruction and chaos. There's always a movement towards order. And we're going to move on to a couple of other things that we have discussed today. And just on the, the fun topics, last week we, we talked about the gargoyle of Third Church. That was a really fun story. Um, I think we had a little bit of feedback where people liked that. So we're going to try to include some more interesting stories. Again, 
the interesting stories we have, and I will give you a, a full warning or, or Amanda will if it's one that she's staring. Not everything we are sharing that are current issues, things like the, the story of the, the gargoyle, not everything that we're saying is, is as empirical as some of the other logic <laughs> that we're presenting. A lot of it is just something that's more or less fun food for thought. So we're going to talk about Santa Claus and then patience worth. So, Amanda, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about Santa Claus since that ties okay. back in. So, as we were talking about um, excommunication and kind of the history of the church doing these different councils and, and discussing things, I was reminded of a story of St. Nicholas, who, if you know that, that he is the inspiration for the modern-day uh, Santa Claus. And so, St. Nicholas was a bishop. He was in charge of churches. He was in charge of their theology but also very practical things and that's where we get kind of the santa claus myth from is where he gave gifts gave to the poor he was a pastor and so as a bishop as someone kind of important in the church he was called to one of the councils and i believe it was the council at nicaea and they were discussing the nature of christ so if christ was fully human fully divine part human part god what how do we rightfully talk about um, our savior and there was a person who would later be considered a heretic called arius and he believed that jesus was not fully divine and so this conversation is happening the councils get together they finally decide right the right speech about jesus is that he's fully god and fully human or very god and very human and so saint nicholas at the end of it and arius is still not repentive he's not willing to participate in what the church has decided is orthodoxy he's um kind of getting his gaggle of cronies together and, and is going to make more of a fuss and saint nicholas just goes over there and slaps him you know as a heretic as someone who is creating chaos in the in the community in the life of the church and i think that's so interesting and and I, Again, I want to be careful. I'm not condoning us just going around slapping people. But at some point, we do have to say for, you know, you're creating chaos. You're creating destruction. You're taking away life. You cannot do this anymore. And um, so I just I think that's just a fun image we can have of Santa Claus. Yeah, we can we can add that to sort of the the pop culture <laughs> around St. Nicholas. We can have some some different things of, of St. Nick slapping heretics. So that's sort of an, an interesting thing. But but the serious side of that is, again, we're not telling you to go out and slap heretics, right. but we are saying there actually is a time and place for saying, hey, this isn't aligned with, with good doctrine, and we're not going to, to say go on an island by yourself and die, but we are going to say we need a healthier path forward. We need something which is more constructive. We're moving mm -hmm. towards order, not towards chaos, and what you're doing is pulling us towards chaos. So we're going to articulate that. We're still leaving the door open for, for transformation, but we've just got to articulate this is where things are. Um, one last story I'm going to share with you, and I want you to, if you want something fun to go research and, and look into that's just really entertaining, again, this is not something which is substantiated in fact. There's a lot of mystery around this, but something that's really fun to do is look up the person patient's worth. If you do a, just a, a Google search for patient's worth, you can find published works by the, the person named patient's worth. And what is so funny about this is we don't actually know that this person was real. And the reason why we don't know that this person was real and although we do have published works by this this name, the way that we got these works is they were dictated to people who had contacted patients were through, I believe it was a Ouija board. It was a medium who had and some friends who had got together and they they played with a, a Ouija board and they said, well, we're going to see if anybody can contact us. And so they do this for a while. And this is in the early 20th century. So around 1900s when spiritualism was really a popular thing. We had a lot of people who were into this. Well, these these people got together 
and they they tried to contact some people with the Ouija board, and eventually they they made contact with this this what was claimed to be a little girl from the 1600s or the 17th century, and this little girl from the the 17th century contacted them and said, "Well, my name is Patience Worth," and over this long period of 25 years, Patience Worth managed to dictate to them novels, stories, <laughs> um, things which were history, some which may be pseudo history because the time frame doesn't necessarily match up right, but poetry, you name it, Patience Worth was a, a person who was dictating to these people all of these stories. So if you can just imagine, people always think about pop culture. It's getting close to, to fall. Um, it feels a little bit like fall outside, which is kind of nice, but as the, the season of spooks comes near, we can think about how some spooks are so successful that they manage to publish their own work. Um, so, so never underestimate the ghost stories. Um, when sometimes we, we hide from that, but maybe, maybe they can be a good book deal if we just listen to some of the things that are out there. Well, with that being said, I'm not encouraging people to listen to spooks and demons um, is my, my last uh, note on that one. But that kind of wraps up our, our program. So just to wrap things up with a final thought, don't think about everything in the world as being two sides of a coin. A lot of times things are more complex than that. You know, God is not bipolar. And the logic of judgment in the Gospel of John, which we're probably going to do a whole program on this up here, here in the near future, is that judgment is towards new life. It's sort of like light and darkness. The darkness the condemnation of, of guilt and death, it is inherent when things move towards chaos. People will do things which are destructive left to their own resources. But the purpose of God coming wasn't just to, ex in, in the form of, of human incarnate, when Christ came as, as God incarnate, it wasn't just so that he could you know, bring more condemnation and do something which the, the, the world was already doing in its own judgment. It was that a judgment of new life could happen, that people could have a pathway towards something which was much better. And that's very important to remember. Well, that wraps up our program today. I hope you enjoyed listening to us. Please like and share our videos. It helps us out a lot if you'll click the little share button if you're watching this on Facebook. But you can also follow us on CastBox, on SoundCloud. If you go to those places, you can download our videos, but please share them. Um, excuse me, you can download the, the podcast. We're on podcast there. You can also find us on YouTube. Please subscribe to our channel. Please follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Facebook at Tools for Liberty or Jolton Church of the Nazarene, and those are found at facebook.com slash jcotn or facebook.com slash kingdom of the logos. Please like and share our videos, and please just help us support us in our in our ministry, and I hope you have a blessed day.